Today we're starting a series called Jesus is Greater Than. And we're going to look at a couple of different belief systems that you may or may not be familiar with. Some of them you might know some people that are a part of these belief systems. Others you may not. Uh, but I want to encourage you with, uh, I always like to do this, um, to uh, help folks that God's put uh, under my teaching uh, to uh, learn some things about some other belief systems. Because this is what I believe. Knowing the truth uh, or identifying things that are false, excuse me, comes not by studying the false things, but by studying the truth. And so just like when they teach people to discover and identify counterfeit uh, bills, right? They don't teach them to, dis- to know all of the, the wrong uh, and, and all the uh, identifying markers of those counterfeits. They teach them and show them the real thing. And by understanding and being able to identify the real bill, then you're able to identify a counterfeit because it doesn't match up. And so I believe the way that we uh, combat against false teaching and things that are not true is to know the truth. Okay, so let me start there. But if we're going to interact with people in our world that believe different things than we do, and if we're going to be a good representative of Jesus and be available to interact with them, it's good for us to know a little bit about what they believe. And so we're going to look at a couple of those uh, three different belief systems, really four. Uh, the last one, we're going to end up with a fair service, and that's going to be a special day, and I've got something special planned there. But this week, we're going to look at Jesus is greater than Mormonism. Next week, we'll look at Jesus is greater than the Jehovah's Witness uh, belief system. And then the third week, we'll look at um, Jesus is greater than Islam. Pastor Ben is going to teach that one, preach that week. Uh, He's had some experience with that and studying that. So this is going to be a good series for you to learn some things about other belief systems. Again, it's not because I'm worried that you uh, are going to fall into those necessarily. Though the Mormon church has certainly grown and did grow in the beginning by converting Christians who didn't really know their faith very well. Um, But I'm not as concerned with that as I just want you to be able to interact with people that you live around. And certainly the Mormon church is a a church that's prominent in the United States. It was founded here. It's an American religion. Okay, it started in this country. And my family has a connection to the Mormon church in that uh, my great, 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 I don't know how many greats, but um, grandparent, uh, grandfather on my mom's side converted to Mormonism over in England and came across on a ship with the Mormon church. The Mormon church put a fund together, pool of money that immigrants could borrow from to be able to come to the United States. And so my family did that, came over on a ship with some money borrowed from the Mormon church, made their way out to Salt Lake City, the Salt Lake Valley, which is where Mormon, the Mormon church kind of uh, ended up after being pushed out of uh, cities and towns uh, in, in New England and then in the Midwest. They made their way out to the Utah Valley, which was a desert at the time, and their leaders uh, got them busy at work there, and they built it into a flourishing uh, area that thrives. My family was a part of that. So I have a connection to the Mormon church. My mom w- went to Mormon church when she was a kid, her dad took her there where she was taught some things and, and learned some things there. And so, um, so anyway, this, I have a little bit of a connection to Mormonism, so I understand some of it. My parents decided to be missionaries in Utah, trying to reach um, uh, Mormons for Jesus with the truth of the gospel. And so we spent some time there. When I was 13 years old, we moved to Utah. And so again, um, I listened to a lot of talks that my dad gave. Uh, as he traveled to churches, trying to educate people as to what Mormonism is. And so a lot of that I absorbed. So I want to share some of that with you. But uh, Mormons are good people. 
I'll tell you that. Some of the best people you ever meet, a good, serious Mormon is a, a great person. And they typically have just great families and are wonderful people. Help to provide the backbone to this country. So this is not uh, any kind of a critique on them as people. I have family members who are Mormon. I know people, some of my best friends in school were Mormons, and I love them. And so uh, not at all coming as an attack against them as a people. But we have to understand what they believe because it's different. It's different. And, and uh, Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, certainly indicated it was different. In fact, he uh, he was creating something different because he believed that what existed was not accurate. It wasn't true. It wasn't the true church of Jesus. And so Joseph Smith, the story's told when he was a young man in his teens, uh, he looked around. He saw all the churches uh, in, in uh, New England where he lived in New York. And uh, he prayed and said, God, would you show me which is the right church? Now, it's interesting, the founding of this country, guys, provided the opportunity for freedom of religion, which gave individuals the freedom to start churches. You know, in this country, we have a phenomenon called denominations, right? We have so many different denominations. We're a part of a denomination, and uh, I've been a part of many different denominations, all with kind of the same basic belief system and doctrine statement. But the truth is that America provided the opportunity where that could happen. Now, people today have seen, some have seen that as a critique against the church in America. It's so fragmented. There's so many different, what, which one's right? And why don't these people work together and, you know, believe the same thing? They have all these different beliefs. And I would say to that, that um, there is kind of a, a downside to it. If you talk to Catholics, and I have over the years, some of them would say, you guys are, so, you, you don't, you know, you're not on the same page. Why don't you guys work together? No, we are all unified. And they would see that as a powerful thing, and Mormons certainly would too. They have centralized leadership and a modern-day prophet who speaks for God. And, and I've heard people talk about the differences in the church. And so the Protestant Reformation moving to America provided this opportunity for many different denominations and church groups. But the plus side to that is this. Just like states in America, if a state gets off track, People don't like what the state stands for and what the laws are and what the tax rate is and all that stuff. They can move, right? And so there's some freedom there to move to a place that you align with. And the same thing is true of churches in America. Yes, there's some fragmentation in the Protestant church. But as some churches move away from the scriptures and move in directions, people are free to go find a church that they believe is teaching what they believe. And so that freedom is, I think, by and large a good thing. And I'm thankful for it. I think it's produced some good things in our country and in our world. It's produced some powerful movements um, for God. And certainly churches, um, uh, you know, are, are fallible, right? Human beings that are a part of them. And so it's possible to get things off track. Joseph Smith, though, in praying and saying, God, show me the true church, he says that God told him none of them were right. They were all wrong. And so uh, God began to reveal to him some things that the current modern-day church in his time had missed. And so this is, the, this is the formation of the church he started, the Mormon church. Now, just in the same way that Christians had the freedom to start churches and movements, so was there the opportunity to start something like the Mormon church and to go off, right, and to skew off in a direction that is not presented in the Bible and in the teaching of the church over thousands of years. It's a completely different message. Now, a lot of Mormons don't know all the differences. And, uh, and so some of this that you'll learn today, you may interact with Mormons that don't know, right? And so that's possible. But Joseph Smith um, did have this interaction. And he, he said an angel named Moroni appeared to him and told him 
that there were some ancient gold plates that were buried outside of uh, near his home in Palmyra, New York, that had been buried there around 400 A.D. And so uh, he said, this is what um, he said happened, that Jesus came to, um, was born in Israel, spent his life there, was crucified, died, ascension back to heaven. He didn't go back to heaven. He pogo hopped over to the Americas. And he came here and revealed himself to the Native American peoples who were descendants from the Israelites. They came across on ships hundreds of years uh, before Joseph Smith. And so, um, and so uh, he, those people were taught the truth from Jesus. Those people hung on to it while the followers of Jesus in the New Testament church went astray. All right? And so they went off base. And so that's why he said the church in his day in the mid-1800s, was all false. All the Christian churches were off. And so, guys, as we look at Mormonism and Christianity, uh, the movement of Jesus in a church like ours, what we believe and teach, what the Bible says, we, we have to make a decision. We have to make a truth determination. Um, because truth here and the stories and the claims are very different. Now, a lot of us would just like, why can't we just all get along and like each other? Why do we have to have these discussions? They're so, you know, they're so, they, they divide and split, right? And I get that. Um, uh, as I was a young man living in Utah, right, when I started to talk about the claims of Mormonism, how they might not be true, that didn't win me a lot of friends, okay? So I understand the difficulty. We have neighbors. We have people that we know, maybe family members. It's like, why do we have to do this? Well, the thing is, the truth does matter. And you, if you were drug into court and you were facing a charge against you, you would want a judge who would make a determination rationally about what the truth was, Right? There's a story told of, a, of two neighbors that got into a dispute. They were having an argument, so they went into court, had a judge stand in front of them and uh, listen to their case. And first of all, the plaintiff got up first, and he made his case, and he was very eloquent, and, and uh, he did a great job. He was very persuasive, and at the end of it, he looked at the judge, and the, and the judge said, hmm, that's right, that's right, it makes sense. Well, then the, hearing that, the defendant jumped up and said, wait a minute, judge, you haven't even heard my side of the story yet. You're agreeing with the plaintiff, like, hold on. And so the judge said, all right, present your case. So the defendant went through his deal and presented his side of it. He was also very eloquent, persuasive. By the end of it, the judge was going, right, that's right. To which the the court clerk jumped up and said, hold on a minute, judge. You can't agree with both of these guys. One is right and one is wrong. You have to make a decision. The judge said, right, that's right. Okay, listen. We want someone who can make a decision, okay? And, and so you guys are in that position. You've got to use your rationale. You've got to use your mind and understand and look at the claims here. And I think it's important because we live in a world where Mormons exist. And they want to be part of our church. They want to be Christians, known as Christians in this country. That means a lot to them. They're a very patriotic group of people. They're, they are very connected to the United States. They see the United States in prophecies, right? And so they feel a strong connection here. And they want to be seen as Christians. And so you've got to make a determination. You've got to know some things about them and make a decision. And so we've got to use a measure to test. A lot of people believe, and there's a group of people out there, that believe that any kind of faith discussion, any kind of discussion about religion and belief systems, they don't want anything to do with any of it. It's all a bunch of baloney. It's all a bunch of hocus pocus. It's not true. There's nothing to it. And so they shut their minds off to that whole discussion. Or if they have that discussion, it's from a critical nature and a belief that it's all false. And that anyone that believes anything regarding faith or religion is just small-minded. Their mind is mush. They're easily susceptible to, you know, 
uh, to myths and, and, and those kinds of things. And so there, there's something wrong with them intellectually, right? You know what I'm talking about? The truth is, can I tell you this? That for the entire history of the world, people have believed there's a God. They believed in faith things in the supernatural and spiritual realm, okay? So my argument is that if you are a part of a group in the last 50 to 100 years that all of a sudden decides none of that is true and there's nothing to any of it, that you might be the one who actually is deficient intellectually, that you've shut yourself off to an entire arena of belief and information and data that does exist, that all of human history has been involved in. And all of a sudden, in the last 100 to 50, 50 to 100 years, there's a group that says, none of that is real. We don't believe any of it. It's all a bunch of baloney. We're smarter than all that. Okay, those people, to those of you young people headed off to college, you're going to hear some professors that are going to push you in that direction. You believe anything, it's ridiculous. Can I just say no? They have shut themselves off to a bunch of data and information. The Bible doesn't call us to be mindless believers. It calls us to rationale, to use our brains. And I'm going to argue that if you consider faith and spirituality, the existence of God, you actually are thinking at a higher level because you're considering things that exist, that the human race has discovered and has interacted with. There's so much information and data out there, so much. It's a whole realm of knowledge that those that don't believe in it have shut themselves off to. And so they are deficient in their ability to understand and think. And so I just wanted to give you that encouragement. But that's also the encouragement that we need to consider the claims of Mormonism. The Bible teaches us to test any prophet claiming to be from God. So we must test the prophecies of Mormonism. The truth claim of Mormonism, Joseph Smith saying, there's a whole bunch of information here that you don't have that I'm going to present to you that God has revealed to me. You need to consider it. In the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses is giving the law, he's telling the people that there's going to be other prophets that emerge that will be from God and will teach them the truth, okay? And they need to listen to those prophets. But he, in the middle of it, he tells them you need to have some discernment. Again, rationale, thinking, uh, awareness. Listen, pay attention, check. Because he says there will be, at times, false prophets that emerge. And you need to be able to tell the difference. And so in Deuteronomy... Um, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, he says this. Moses writing to the people of Israel. But you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? Verse 22, if the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know the Lord did not give that message. That prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. So Moses teaching the nation of Israel. There's going to be people come, and they're going to say they're from God. But you need to test them. You need to test them. Well, listen, guys, I hate to say this, but that requires rationale. It requires reason, thinking, using the mind, right? And so this is important. It's always been a part of the people of God. It's always been a part of the faith that we profess. So one of the key teachings, hinge pins of Mormonism, is the claim that the Bible is missing passages. There's chunks and sections of the Bible that are missing. There was a prophet that Joseph Smith said existed 600 years before Jesus. In the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith wrote about this. The prophet's name was Nephi. There's a book in the Book of Mormon called the Book of Nephi, all right? And there's a couple of them, I think. And so Nephi was a prophet. He's prophesying, or he makes a prophecy, regarding the time after Jesus. 
Okay, so Nephi exists 600 years before Jesus. This is the claim, the Book of Mormon. He makes a prophecy concerning the future beyond Jesus and when he walked the earth, okay? And so this is the prophecy found in Nephi chapter 13, verse 28. Interestingly enough, this is written in King James English, which is kind of interesting, just as an aside. This text was written um, 600 uh, years before Christ. And it's translated in King James English, a lot like the King James Version of the Bible, which was translated hundreds of years before Joseph Smith walked the earth. So people have kind of wondered why it was translated into King James English. But anyway, just a total aside, listen to this. Here's the prophecy. Wherefore thou seest, it's hard to read King James English, so bear with me. Wherefore thou seest that after the book hath gone forth through the hands of the great and abominable church, talking about the Bible here, that there are many plain and precious things taken away from the book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. So Nephi making a claim about the Bible that there would be things taken out of it by the church. Verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 3 of the book of Nephi. And that great pit which hath been digged for them by that great and abominable church, which was founded by the devil and his children, that he might lead away the souls of men down to hell. Yea, that great pit which hath been digged for the destruction of men shall be filled by those who digged it, Unto their utter destruction, saith the Lamb of God, not the destruction of the soul, save it be the casting of it into that hell, which hath no end. All right, so a claim by a prophet in the Book of Mormon, a prophet that Joseph Smith wrote about, that there would be sections of the Bible that would be lost. So can we test the accuracy of the Bible? Can we test whether or not Nephi's claim came true? His prophecy came true. Were there books and sections of the Bible that were lost by the early church? We can test this. Amazingly, um, a discovery was made long after, about 100 years, uh, at least 100 years after Joseph Smith, uh, about uh, a source, some source data on the Bible. There was a discovery made in Israel called the Dead Sea Scrolls, made in 1948. Some scrolls were found that dated Pack, uh, far before Jesus walked the earth. And so uh, there was an ability to test whether or not the Old Testament that we have today is the same as the Old Testament as, as it was written before Jesus, right? So here we got an opportunity to test whether or not the Bible is accurate. Is our Bible missing pieces? Um, is it missing these precious, plain uh, prophecies and sections of Scripture? And so the study's been made using the Dead Sea Scrolls to evaluate our current Bible. And the discovery is, the result is, that the Bible we have today is extremely accurate. Small, minute changes in, in some things, but nothing that would affect the content or the message. And so here we have a claim of Nephi, a prophet that Joseph Smith said that God revealed to him, who made this prophecy that there would be bits of the Bible lost, um, actually uh, big chunks of the Bible that would be lost by the New Testament church. And that, in fact, did not happen. Also, what has been discovered is that the early church, as it began to form, one of the things that the Mormon church has taught their people is that there was one copy of the Bible. And that copy, as it would fade, monks would write, uh, you know, renew the ink or rewrite it or copy it. And they would write in, sometimes they would leave things out. If there was something controversial or something they didn't like or they would make changes. This is what the Mormon church leaders taught their church. This is how the Bible uh, advanced and was brought forward. And the truth is 
that in the early church, there was a great deal of copying of the letters that were being circulated in the New Testament and of the Bible itself as a whole. Once that was determined, what, bo- what letters would go in that, what writings would go in the canon. It was copies made by thousands and thousands of people. And so today, we have 6,000 copies of the Old and New Testament. Old Testament from in, written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. We have in our possession as a church 6,000 copies and over 40,000 copies of the Bible we have from ancient times and writings. There is nothing like it from what is called antiquity or ancient times. There is no book. There is no writing. There is nothing that has that much data. And so today, there's a group of people that study the Bible kind of from a scientific standpoint. It's called textual criticism. And they study the Bible. They look at it. They evaluate all of the families of translations that we have, all these different lines of translations, and evaluate, right? And if you want to get into it, you can look into it at a very deep level as to, as to some of the distinctions, the uh, differences. But the fact is, all of this work proves, and this is why largely the attacks on the Bible have softened in my lifetime by those that don't like Christianity and want to see it diminished. The attacks on the Bible have been reduced a bit because we have so much information. And it's proven by looking at all of it that we have an accurate text, that the Bible we have is reliable and accurate to what was given uh, and what was written down originally. And so those attacks have kind of dropped back. Well, we can also test the prophecies in the Bible, and we need to do that. I've talked to you guys about the prophecies concerning the Messiah. There are hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah. Many of the Old Testament prophets were prophesying about a day when a Messiah would come. And of course, the New Testament writers believed that Messiah was Jesus, right? He was the fulfillment. And so you need to understand the truth claim of the Bible is, hey, there's a prophet, there's a Messiah that's going to come. He's going to change things. He's going to change the world. And then Jesus came, claimed to be the Messiah. And the New Testament writers believed he was the Messiah. And they saw him fulfill all of these prophecies. And so we can look at some of them. In the book of Micah, Micah was one of the prophets. Um, Chapter 5, verse 2, Micah prophesies this. He says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you only are, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. And so the claim that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Well, Jesus, in fact, was born in Bethlehem, right? We know that. And so again, we can look at the prophecies that were made in the Old Testament. Did they come true? I can tell you that the followers of Jesus that started the early church were not emotionally captivated by Jesus. It was not an emotionalism that grabbed them in. It wasn't a blind belief in faith that they saw Jesus' miracles and were just won over by all that. These were skeptical Jewish people that had seen many messiahs come before Jesus. They'd heard about many stories of people that had risen, risen up and had called people to follow them, and they turned out to be false. And so you had a group of people that was looking for the truth And they examined whether or not Jesus actually lined up with the prophecies in the Old Testament. They became convinced that he did. They saw him fulfill these prophecies. So once again, rational thinking, using our brains, right? Activating them around this arena of truth claims and prophecy and what's happening in the spiritual arena leads us to a place of becoming convinced that Jesus was and is the Messiah and that our belief in him is placed there by rational thinking and by, uh, um, by using our minds and determining whether or not the truth claims of the Bible are actually true. This is the judgment call that we have to make regarding um, Mormonism and Christianity. Truth claims, how do they line up? I've given you one example 
with Nephi and a prophecy that was claimed by Joseph Smith that is not true did not come to pass. And we can prove that it did not very clearly. And then truth claims by the Old Testament prophets. And you can look. There's many of those, and you need to examine that. But the truth behind those will become evident to you. It has to so many down through time. Well, Joseph Smith also claimed that he had direct revelation from God. He claimed to be a prophet. And so we also must test the prophecies of Joseph Smith. It's another fair evaluation. As a young man, 13 years old, moved to Utah and entered um, a, a junior high, Bonneville Junior High School, made some friends, found out they were Mormons. And I said, hey guys, listen, if I can show you, Joseph Smith made some false prophecies. You know, the Bible says false prophet uh, shouldn't be listened to. If I can show you they made some false prophecies, would you consider a different path to salvation? They, of course, said, sure, no problem. And so I began to show them. And a couple of those I'm going to show you this morning. First of all, Joseph Smith prophesied that Jesus would return within 56 years of his prophecy. That would have been in 1891. He laid it out in one of, uh, one of the volumes, The History of the Church. It's documented, um, and I've got the quote here. I can show it to you. You can look, at it, look it up for source information, but uh, these things are not hidden. Joseph Smith wrote things down, and, uh, and probably would have been better if he just made prophecies and didn't didn't document them, but when you do, they can be checked. And so he, uh, he, this was his claim that Jesus was going to return in 1891. And of course, we know that that day arrived and Jesus did not return. And so false prophecy. Joseph Smith also prophesied that there would be a temple of the Mormon church built in Missouri within his generation. Um, he laid it out in uh, the prophecies found in a book called The Doctrines and Covenants, which is one of the Mormon church's um, key texts. He made this claim in his generation there would be a temple built there. Well, the Mormons were driven out of Jackson County in Missouri in 1833, and they were not gathered there again in his lifetime, did not build a temple there in his lifetime. And so once again, a false prophecy. Joseph Smith also prophesied that there were people that lived on the moon and inhabited the moon, which if you believe we made it to the moon in 1969, which you do, right? Because we did. Okay, so if you believe that, you know there's evidence that we did not find people living there. In fact, it could not support life. He claimed that the whole world would get involved in a civil war, and he made a prophecy regarding that. Of course, we know the whole world did not get involved or pulled into the civil war. And so once again, Joseph Smith, there's many of these. Now what's interesting is when I told my buddies in junior high, and I started to give them the evidence. And they started going to their ward presidents who are like their pastors and checking things out. They did not consider another path to salvation like I, they said they would have when I showed them. And uh, in fact, they kind of turned on me a little bit, um, which I don't know. I don't get it. I was just trying to help them. But, um, but they kind of turned on me and things got a little tough for me in uh, the rest of eighth grade. But, um, but here's the thing. So how you handle these things is really important, right? And that you handle them uh, with tact and that you look for an open heart and an open mind. There's a great video um, online. It's on Amazon Prime. It's called The Bible versus Joseph Smith. And, uh, um, and that's a great uh, resource. If you want to watch that, you'll watch an interaction between a Christian man and a Mormon leader and how he handles these things. And so that's really important. But these claims must be considered. The validity of Joseph Smith has got to be considered. We're going to look at the truth of this church, which has become massive worldwide. Um, it uh, uh, has deep pockets. 
It's a strong uh, financial entity, owns uh, major portions of some large companies, including like Coca-Cola. They're deep and they have a great business model and it works and they've grown and they're strong and they're stable and they're good people. And if you know any Mormons, like I said, you're going to go, man, these are good people. They seem like Christians. They so much seem like Christians. And yet the truth is their whole belief system, guys, you got to evaluate it. And it's based on some false claims. Um, Jesus said that he would build his church and protect it. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said this, Now I say to you that you are Peter. He's talking to Peter. Peter had just um, made the admission that Jesus was the Messiah. And he said, Upon this rock, Peter means Petra, right? A rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, as Protestants, we believe there are times that the church has gotten off track and hasn't been teaching the truth entirely, right? We see that. We would believe that before the Protestant Reformation, the Catholic Church had gotten into a bad spot. They were teaching salvation could be purchased financially, right? Uh, By buying indulgences. And I mean, there's all this stuff that they had gotten involved in. And and the Protestant Reformation was built on the idea, Martin Luther and others saying, no, this isn't true. He read the scriptures. The just will live by faith. You know, he read the Book of Mormon, or the Book of Mormon. He read the, the Book of Romans. (laughs) Um, He read read the, the book of Romans and he goes, hey, this isn't right. What the church is teaching isn't right. And so he wanted to reform it. Um, and so I've heard Catholics say, what are you guys protesting about? What are you upset about? You know, well, we're not really protesting anymore, but initially it was because there was this awareness and this acknowledgement, realization that church was off track and there was just a desire to reform it. Martin Luther was a, a, a Catholic priest And he pretty much stayed a Catholic priest the rest of his life. He didn't want to leave. He was forced out, right, by those that were in power. And so, again, the church can get off base. It can. We're we're made uh, on—and human beings are a part of it. So anytime human beings are part of it, it can get off. But the truth is that God, Jesus, has protected his church. It continued to reform it and continued to ensure that it is on track. And the church of Jesus represents Jesus in the world. Joseph Smith taught a different path to follow, to get to heaven. He taught a different plan of salvation or a different gospel. Mormonism teaches a different gospel than the Bible teaches. Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says this to the church in Galatia, who is also facing people coming in and saying there's a different way to be saved. He said this in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again, What we said before, if anyone preaches any other good news or gospel than the one you, than the one you welcomed, let that person be accursed. The apostle Paul says, listen, if somebody comes and presents a different way to heaven, do not listen to them. In fact, may they be cursed because of what they're doing. Mormonism teaches this. This is the path to salvation. There is no salvation apart from accepting Joseph Smith as a true prophet of God. And certainly that would be the case. You've got to believe what you are taught inside of that belief system. You can't question it. Their process looks like this. Read the Book of Mormon, which is the prophecy or the writings of Joseph Smith. Read it, pray over it, and ask God to give you confirmation. The confirmation comes in the, in, in the form of the burning in the bosom or burning in your chest. That is the confirmation. It is not to evaluate it using your mind and your rationale and to look at the claims of Mormonism versus Jesus. That's not the process you're told to go through. You're told to pray for an emotional reaction, a feeling that would tell you whether or not it's true. Um, 
Mormonism teaches that the God of this world is a God named Elohim, who, through cohabitation with one of his wives, produced the offspring of Jesus and Satan, who are brothers, who came from the same uh, parents. One went bad, the other, Jesus, lived out a good life, a perfect life, followed the t- the, what he was supposed to do, uh, according to Elohim, and became the God of this world. So Jesus is the God of this world, which he earned by doing good things and living the right way. I remember sitting in Temple Square with a bunch of college students from Moody Bible Institute and uh, the missionary that my parents worked for there. He set us down in the basement down there in one of the rooms and he brought in one of the Mormon missionaries. It was an older gentleman, kind of his age. I said he was older. He's probably my age now. But anyway, they were there talking. And, uh, and he goes, hey, listen, tell us what the blood of Jesus means to you. This is my, uh, the missionary that we were with asking this Mormon missionary. What does the death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice mean to you? And he said, well, what does it mean? Like, it was tragic that Jesus died on the cross. It's tragic, sad. He didn't do anything to deserve it. It was a, it was a false charge trumped up on him. But, but what does it mean beyond that? Because Mormonism is not built on salvation by grace through faith. It's not built on the atonement of sin by Jesus. It's built on working really hard, doing the right things, and attaining eternal existence. And the harder you work, you can move up in levels of heaven. And there's three or four of them. And the highest one means that you too, just like Jesus, can have a world of your own. That is if you're a man. Sorry, ladies. You've got to get in on the coattails of a man. But, but that's okay. Um, be eternally pregnant. That's a beautiful thing. And uh, help populate a world right? Okay, I'm not trying to be, I shouldn't be too sarcastic, but this is the truth, is what they believe. And so, um, and so you've got to attain that and work hard. Salvation, as I said, comes through good works, like being baptized for the dead, married in the temple, doing the good things the church calls you to do. You do not hold to the Trinity. Do not believe that Father, Son, Holy Spirit make one God, but each are gods. It's a polytheistic belief system. Poly meaning many. There are many gods. And so you, as it said, you can become a god. One of Joseph Smith's famous sayings, I believe it was Joseph Smith or one of the prophets says, as God is, man once, or no, as man is, God once was. As man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. And so there's this idea that you can attain divinity, which is absolute blasphemy, uh, according to the the Bible. Um, On the nature of humans, certainly we can become the divine. Jesus taught that the law was given through Moses. He supported monotheism, that there is one God, yet in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see that at the baptism of Jesus, where the Father of the Spirit of God descended on Jesus, the Son, and the voice of God said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so we see the Trinity, again, To not believe the Trinity is to not be Christian, plain and simple. And so this is one of the problems that Mormonism faces. Um, The Bible teaches Jesus supported the idea that Messiah would come, that he would be um, uh, God in the flesh, that he would present the kingdom of God, that he would be the exact representation of God the Father, and his death would be the atonement of sin that would save the world. Jesus' death did pay for the sin of the world. And we are encouraged to put our faith in what Jesus did. The New Testament Jesus uh, teaches that salvation doesn't come through good works, but it comes by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 affirm the process of salvation for us as taught in the New Testament, taught by Jesus and the apostles. 
says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Good works come as a result of our salvation. Titus 3 verses 4 through 7 says this, But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is the process of salvation. The Mormon church teaches a very different gospel, a different path to heaven and to salvation. Mormons, as I said, really want to be accepted as Christians in this country, and many do not understand the differences between Jesus and, and Jesus' church and the church that they belong to. So how do we handle interacting with our Mormon friends and neighbors, people we respect, and people that we love? Hopefully, you should, because they're great people, as I said. We should speak the truth in love to our Mormon friends. Truth in love. John 1, 14. This is what's said about Jesus by the Apostle John. So the Word became human, and made his home among us. He was filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father, uh, of the Father's one and only Son. Jesus came to the earth to live among us. And we are called to do the same, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to live out the gospel, be the message. This is no different for those who believe these different belief systems that we're going to look at through this series. I think uh, some important keys. Know the truth. Know what the Bible does teach. Know passages and sections of Scripture that you can examine with your Mormon friends or acquaintances. Um, lead with praying for them, not with having a debate or an argument with them. Use love and truth as you interact. Proceed with caution. As I said, my uh, passion and, and enthusiasm as a young man probably wasn't the greatest approach. However, I will tell you this. I've gotten to know a missionary that's out in Utah, church planter, young man, and was sharing with him some of the things that happened to me. And he said, you know what? Here's the truth. We got a lot of people right now in the Mormon church coming and asking questions. They want to know what the Bible says. They want to know uh, what grace is all about. They want to know what's going on. They have questions. And he said, some of them are about your age. And it could be that some of those guys you talked to that, that reacted negatively to your message, right? didn't want to listen, didn't hear. It could be that now they're starting to come and ask those questions. And he said, we're seeing Mormons come out of the church, get saved, come to Jesus. And so that kind of encouraged me. And I would encourage you with that. You do not know <laughs> the, the fruit of a conversation you might have. Um, you should be cautious and careful and loving and, ex and express the love of God a lot more than you do present the truth. I think that's important. But it's important as well to have these conversations, to talk about the truth, to present what the scriptures say. The Bible, tell us, um, the Bible tells us clearly how salvation comes to us, and Mormons need to hear the gospel as well. They need to find faith and saving faith. Many of them have faith, and they believe, and they want to get to heaven. They want to do the right thing, and that's a great thing. 
Um, there's a lot of Christians, frankly, that I've seen that maybe don't feel that way. There's, there's a lot of really sincere Mormons that have a desire to do the right thing. They just don't know what the right thing is. They have a, a, a wrong view. They've been taught things by the church they're a part of that are not true. And it's built on a bunch of false prophecies and false presentations of truth. And yet, um, and yet they need to hear the truth. And if the Holy Spirit's at work there, they're going to hear it and they're going to listen. And you might find out as a, as a mode of your approaching it, where is this person at? Are they open to hearing the truth? Are they open to a conversation about this? Saving faith may thus be defined as voluntarily turning from all hope and grounds based on self-merit and assuming an attitude of expectancy toward God, trusting him to do a perfect saving work based only on the merit of Christ. Lewis Sperry Schaefer said that years ago. If we're going to get saved, if we're going to come into a relationship with God through Jesus, then we've got to come in a needy place. We've got to come and put aside our self-righteousness. And Mormons, unfortunately, live in a system that has a lot of self-righteousness. They've earned their way. They've done a lot of good work, and it's getting them to heaven. And yet, the truth is, they know, if they're honest and sincere, that they're not good, and their good works are not getting them anywhere. It's not making them feel any better about their lives. And they don't really know. There's no real measure of whether or not they've done enough good to get wherever they want to go. It's, it's impossible for them to know. There are other belief systems like that too that do not paint the target and just say, hey, keep working hard, keep doing the right thing. And they hold uh, all of this over the heads of those that follow and they don't give them any hope about whether or not they've achieved what they're looking for. God will use your efforts, no matter how small or how ineffective they might seem to you. Sometimes a small conversation, a little bit of truth interjected, can go a long way. Just be open to it, right? Be open to it. Be open to the idea that God might use you to have a conversation with someone. There's a story told of D.L. Moody. He made a covenant with God that he would share Jesus with at least one person every day. And so he was living this out one day. He got into late into the evening, and he realized that he had not done it. And so he went out, and he found a guy on the street, and he said, Hey, are you a Christian? And uh, the man flew into a violent rage, pushed back on him, got upset with him, said, Leave me alone. Quit being a jerk. I don't want anything to do with you. Well, this guy, the next day, goes and complains to one of Moody's elders and, and pushes him about how Moody was such a jerk and came and, you know, hit him up late in the evening about whether or not he was a Christian. He said, this guy, you got to get him under control. And so his board of elders, this guy that, that the, the man went to, they said, Moody, you got to back down. Um, and, and they tried to get him to calm down a little bit, right? But he was zealous and he was called and he was driven. And so, um, and so later this man actually came into uh, the church and he uh, became a part of it and he listened to the gospel and responded. And so he apologized for the way he had treated Moody. He said that uh, he'd had no peace ever since that night on Lake Street when Moody witnessed to him. Listen, uh, sometimes we judge our interactions, our attempts by the response we see in that moment, right? And I just want to encourage you that if you're walking in the Spirit, you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you're willing to have truth conversations with people in love, and, you, and that actually shows you care about them. It's a lot easier to ignore and move on and not have that conversation, not say anything. Keeps the peace. But unfortunately, that, that leaves a person uh, in darkness and deception. It's not helping them. And so if we walk through our lives open and willing and we're prayerfully considering, God, what do you want me to do here? Do you want me to have a conversation? And we find those little bits 
based on what we know and the study we've done and the work we've done to understand where people are at. And we find those little bits of truth that we can plant in, right? Call it plant and seeds, plant and seeds. Then you, you don't know where those seeds are going to grow and which ones will. That's up to God. And so I want to encourage you with that. Um, take the challenge to learn some of these key points that Mormonism teaches. Be educated so that as you interact with Mormons, you know what they believe. And then know what the scriptures teach. It's a great opportunity to get in the word, to get in your study, to learn some of these things, to match up and evaluate. You can find lots of resources online to evaluate the differences and be ready. My prayer is that you will have a conversation, that God will bring your life intersecting with a Mormon's life and you'll begin to invest and you'll begin, begin to see opportunities to share with them and to build a relationship and help. And that's really the truth is that um, we want to see all people come to saving knowledge of Jesus. And this is a group of people that, for the most part, are sincere. They, they love God. They want to be going the right direction. And for the most part, they're pretty open to conversations. And so um, let me pray for you. God, thank you for our church. I thank you for this opportunity to look at what some other folks in our country believe. And Father, with humility, we walk with what we believe. And we know that we are capable of getting off track. There's things that certainly we don't understand. But Father, we put our confidence in your word, in the inspired word of God that is so accurate that you have protected for us so that we can have that objective source where we can look at it and we can examine using our minds and using reason and rationale and determine whether or not the claims that you made are true. Father, I pray that you would grow us in our confidence, in our faith. Help us to learn and grow and discover more and to know what our, um, what our fellow countrymen and women believe so that we're prepared to interact with them regarding the truth of who you are. God, thank you again for this day, and uh, I pray for each one of us that we might be prepared. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.